I remember the moment, I remember the teenager, she couldn't have been more than 12 or 13 at a retreat. She was there, but she wasn't really there, if you know what I mean. She was present in the body, but you could tell her mind and heart were in other places. The girl had just realized that her parents would be divorcing, divorcing, and she was naturally crushed. Uh, Her foundations of her little world had been shaken to the core, and she was really struggling. And as we tried to talk about what she was going through gently and give encouragement and prayer, she asked a, a profound question. Maybe she didn't know it was profound, but her question was, where is God? We sat, shuffled our feet, prayed, tried to encourage, but you could tell she was feeling that God was distant. It was parents in a hospital room faced with devastating news about their child. News that no parent wants to get. News that upends every way you, every hope, every dream, every thought you had for this child and as they tried to reconcile their heart and their mind and their grief, the question was, where is God? He was a a new widower. Unexpectedly so, I went to the door of his home and he welcomed me in, but you could tell there was weight in his words. As he tried to make peace with an empty home, and you could tell in his eyes, as we sat at his dining room table, that he was asking the same question. Have you ever been in a moment where you felt like God was distant? I don't mean you stopped believing in God. You just struggled to see where he was working. You struggled to see his purposes in the moment. You struggled to see where God was in all of this. If you've ever been there, and my guess is if you're a Christian more than a a few years, you've been there. Because even for people of faith, it's natural to reach points in life. You look up and ask God, where are you? If you've ever struggled with God feeling distant, today's lesson is for you as we 
are working through a series, a brief series called God With Us. And we're looking at the story, the narrative of the entire purpose of God. It all comes down to this moment when the Word becomes flesh. And if you've ever felt like God was distant, if you've ever questioned where God was working and how, I want you to pay close attention. In fact, I'd like you to do the more than pay attention to me. I'd like you to open your Bibles to the book of John. John chapter 1 is where we will be. In fact, this whole series is based straight out of the book of John. As we said last week, John has a, a very unique way of telling us an old familiar story. We aren't introduced to shepherds or angels or magi. No, John, John goes about it a little bit differently as he still tells the story of God making his dwelling among us. If you don't know where John 1 is, page 1137 in the Pew Bible will get you there. <clears throat> I know you're there and we're going to be working through a set of scriptures, but as you're there, I want you now to stand as we read together from John chapter 1, verse 14. This will be on the screen. John chapter 1, verse 14. And the Word says, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen His glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. You may be seated. This is the Word of God. And as we said last week, the Word of God refers to more than just a book. John refers to the Word in a very special way. And so, I want us to think through verse 14 of John chapter 1 together. And I hope you're following along or have your Bible open or your Bible app open. First, we're told that God became like us. Last week, we said that... The Word, the Logos, was God's divine mind, His divine reason. Uh, someone mentioned to me afterward the word logic is based out of that. That makes, but, but it's more than just our logic. It's more than our mind. It's more than our reasoning. It's God's. And this week, John goes to say that the Word now becomes flesh. The Word becomes incarnate. God puts on skin. God becomes just like us, with one huge distinction, no sin, holy and pure and perfect. The writer of Hebrews says, he was tempted in every way just as we are, and yet he never succumbed once to that temptation. Jesus often describes, I'm sorry, John often describes the incarnate nature of Jesus, the human side of deity. In John chapter 4, verse 6, John describes Jesus as being tired as he sat down by the well, preceding the conversation with the Samaritan woman. In John chapter 11, John describes Jesus as getting sad. Kind of like that. <laughs> getting sad and weeping at his good friend Lazarus' funeral. In John chapter 19, in several, a couple of places in John chapter 19, John describes Jesus as getting thirsty. Now, now those may seem like 
simple things to get tired and sad and weep and get thirsty. But for us reading, that's part of the human experience. John will go on later to say that Jesus bled and he died. You understand that that deity doesn't bleed. And certainly, eternal God does not die. So, John is really taking pains to describe the human side of Jesus. Not to take away from the deity, but to point out that he was fully God as well as fully man. Think about this. Consider how this must have taken place. God became flesh. Deity put on DNA. All of us in here have DNA. From the moment you're born, there's a set of internal instructions in every cell of your body that tell you what gender you're going to be, that tell you what color you're going to be, that tell you what your height will be, that tell, tell you what sicknesses you might be prone to. And there's DNA in all of that. Deity took on DNA. God had a heartbeat. God had height and weight and color and gender and voice and fingerprints. Now, these are profound things to a God who's limitless and eternal and indescribable to put on these human qualities. But it wasn't just the physical. No, no, see, it was more than that. Jesus put on the, when he became human, put on the emotional side of human beings. Jesus loved Jesus was full of great joy. Jesus got frustrated. Jesus wept. Jesus got so angry that he flipped over tables and made a whip to drive people out of the temple. Jesus was the fullness of human emotion in the flesh. Now you think of every human emotion you've experienced, Jesus experienced that too. And yet did that, experienced all of those uh, spectrums of human emotions without a single drop of sin. Jesus put on the intellectual side of being a human being. Jesus had memory and knowledge and wisdom and humor and wit and to some degree sarcasm. (laughs) Jesus had the intellectual side of being human. So Jesus was fully human. And the scripture goes on to say this, he didn't just become flesh He dwelt, he drew close to us. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. Now this is important because we not only understand that Jesus is deity and Jesus is humanity, but also that he came close to us. You see, the story of the word is that ever since sin entered the picture in John chapter 3, the relationship between God and us has been what you might call distant. In fact, just shortly after they sinned, the scripture says that they were hiding from God, which is probably one of the sadder scriptures to read. The relationship between God and us had to be distant, had to be separate. That's what sin did to it. It ruined the relationship so that an angel now blocked the way to the garden. So that a mountain had to separate God and his people. 
so that a curtain from the top to the bottom separated the holy place from the most holy place. There was always a level of separation. Even when God came close, there was always a a point to which human beings couldn't go. But now, in Christ and through Christ, he's not only coming in the flesh, he's drawing close to us. He is among us. Jesus is among the people. Matthew will call this Emmanuel that we sang about. God with us. God among us. No separation, no division, setting up this earthly tent right next to ours. It's a beautiful thing, but we need to realize that when it happened, it was the first time that God drew close, close enough to touch, close enough to see, close enough to hear, close enough to love. Though we were separate at the garden, you see, now Jesus will be close enough to pray for us in the garden. Though we were separate at Mount Sinai and distant from him, Jesus will now preach to us on the mountain. Though we had boundaries at the temple, many different levels of separation for Gentiles and women and, and common people and the priests, but now... Jesus will tear the curtain from the top to the bottom. John will describe Jesus in this way in John chapter 1. Go back there. John chapter 1 verse 18. No one has ever seen God, but the one and only Son, who is himself God, and is in closest relationship with the Father, has made him known. You see, in Christ, God is close again. God no longer has to be distant. Creator with the created together. Holy with humanity united. Majesty with humanity reconciled. This is a great work. It's a powerful and profound thing, and it's the work and doing of God. And he's so close that we can see his glory. The word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory. Glory is of the only Son from the Father. The word glory, the original word is doxa, means the fullness of God's glory the splendor and brilliance of deity. The, 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 the picture that Isaiah gets when he goes into the throne room of God and his only reaction is, I am a man of unclean lips. I am among a people of unclean lips. Woe to me. That's his reaction to a holy God, to the doxa of God. It is the splendor of God's presence you are following along, turn to the book of Hebrews, chapter 1. The writer here describes this in more detail when he says, Hebrews chapter 1, verse 3, He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. 
After making purifications for sin, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. So he not only shows us his glory, he's not only the perfect representation of God and humanity, he's the perfect presence of God. And in being close to us, he not only shows us his glory, he offers us something else. He offers us all we need. Going back to John, he says he is full of grace and truth. There, there are two things that every person needs. And, and in studying this, I'm convinced even more of it. Every person needs grace and truth. And when I think about people, when I think about churches, usually we go to one end of the, or the other of that spectrum. You, you get a person who's all grace all the time but never gets close to the truth. You get churches that are all truth all the time, bashing people over the head, condemning everyone to hell, never get anywhere near grace. And the beauty of Jesus, he perfectly personifies and embodies both grace and truth. If you go back just, uh, go down just one verse to verses 16 and 17 of John chapter 1. John writes this way, For from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. It's easy to get off in the ditches to one side or the other of grace or truth. But where Jesus calls us is to the beautiful center of God as the centerpiece of all human history, both grace and truth. Romans chapter 3, verse 23 and 24. You probably know verse 23. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That's a hard truth. No matter how good you are, no matter how much you come to church, no matter how many good works you do, you fall short of the glory of God. But verse 24 is the grace. And, it starts with, are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. See, we still get grace and truth only through Christ Jesus. And that's what we need. We need his grace. We need his truth. And we need his love. And all of those things are found only in Christ Jesus. As C.S. Lewis once said, the Son of God became a man to enable men to become sons of God. I think that's a great way to put it, to remind us that we all need truth and we all need grace. All right, so here it is for you. Here's the good news about the incarnation. The good news, if you've ever struggled or ever wrestled with God feeling distant, The good news is you can ignore your feelings. The good news is you can know that through Christ Jesus, God is no longer distant. If you've ever wished that God would show himself, he did. He showed up. 
in a completely unremarkable way, but he showed up and he made himself known and he lived a perfect life and died a perfect, sinless, atoning death for your sin and for mine. If you've ever struggled with knowing if God understands you, reflect only on Jesus and know that he does. He gets you. He understands you because he became like you. Not in the sinful sense, but in the humanity sense. He became like you. If you've ever wrestled with wondering if God cares at all, Look only to Jesus and know that he does. Trust that he does and yield your life to Christ Jesus. You need to know, if you don't already, that Jesus is all of these things in one. Last verse and then we'll close. Colossians chapter 1, 19 and 20. We're going to study this more in depth tonight if you want to join us this Sunday night study, if you want to Join us here. We'll be at 6 o'clock. You can come a little early at 5 and bring some sandwich for the sandwich supper and enjoy a sweet production by the kiddos. Colossians chapter 1, 19 and 20, page 1260 in the Pew Bible. Paul writes, For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth to himself, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. The good news to the teenager wrestling, if God cares, the good news to the parents who feel like God is very far away, good news to those who suffered heartache and loss is that Jesus drew close to us, that we might draw close to the Father. He drew close to us, that we might draw close to Him. But that's only through Christ. This morning, if you are struggling with feeling like God is distant, could I ask you the question, who moved? Maybe you've wandered. Maybe you've stepped away. Maybe you've moved rather than God. And if that's the case, the invitation is to you to return. The Father wants his children to come home, all of his children to come home. But he won't force them to do so. If our elders could pray with you, I know they'd be honored to do that. Maybe you feel distant from God because you've never put on Jesus. He said, well, I, I prayed the prayer that they said to pray, but you won't find that prayer in here. Maybe, maybe you say, well, I, 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 I do a lot of good works, but, but your works aren't enough. Only Jesus is enough. And if you want to, to take on his righteousness, like Ethan did and like Kat did, if you want to begin a new life in Christ, it starts with trusting in him. It starts with putting him on in baptism and beginning to walk in that new life. And if we can help you do that this morning, we'd be honored to do that as well. The good news is, the great news is, God is no longer distant. He is closer than we can ever fully understand. But as we reflect on Christ, may we not miss out 
that God is closer than he's ever been, desiring for each of us to be close to him. If you have a spiritual need this morning, our shepherds will be at the back to pray with you, to to show you the way to Christ, Uh, however we can help you. If you have a need, head back and meet with our shepherds as we sing this next song. Let's stand and sing.